So 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 to 5.11. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. We thank the Lord for his words. Well, thank you, Pauline. Please keep your Bibles open at First Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, um, so you can follow along with me and see where God is saying these things in his word. And good afternoon, my name is Glenn Burns. I am um, the assistant minister here at Grace Church Broccoli. And we're just going to continue our series on the marks of the church, or God and his people in First Thessalonians. So before we begin to look at this passage, let me just pray as we commit ourselves to God, seeking his help and his guidance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is in it. Lord, help us to understand your, this truth for us now. Lord, help us to understand its relevance for today. And Lord, help us to apply it to our lives. Lord, we know we are sinful. And we um, have misguided thoughts. So Lord, may your spirit work in us now to uncloud those sinful judgments. And Lord, to point us to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. So Lord, help us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, ever since we were children, we all dreamt of a happy ending. Because of the stories we read and watched as kids, 
We all want the Cinderella to no longer be a slave. We want the Sleeping Beauty to wake up. We wanted the beast to turn into a prince. And some of us even wanted the ogre to live a happy life in the swamp. A happy ending is what we hope for. But what happens when we lose our hope? Pete Nicholas from Inspired Church in Clerkenwell, he explains that the reason we all lose hope and become hopeless is not because we never had hope to begin with, but that we put our hope in the wrong things. Whether it's a risky investment, a miracle drug cure, that winning lottery ticket or a punt on the horses, or even by finding Prince Charming by swiping right on Tinder. You see, we all hope for something. But hope can be easily based upon our feelings and our desires. But the Bible talks about hope in a different way, in a more concrete fashion. You see, the good news of the Bible is that hope comes in Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and three days later being raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven and one day he will return. We can be sure of this and we know this to be true as in Jesus himself we have someone who is authentic and who demonstrated complete integrity throughout his life. But only, not only did he demonstrate those things but he told us these things himself. And as we thought about what makes the marks of a faithful church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 last week, we see that Paul wants to encourage the church to keep growing in faithfulness to God. Grow to God growing in faithfulness to God in holiness and growing in faithfulness to each other in love. And the reason why Paul was doing this is because the church in Thessalonica found themselves in a place of sexual promiscuity. And their faith could be compromised for the sake of blending in with the culture around them. But furthermore, there was this false teaching spread throughout the church, which led to unloving behavior. And the reason for this is simple. The people were confused about Jesus' promised return. Will it happen? When will it happen? What will happen when it does happen? It's just so many questions and so many doubts. But Paul wants to answer two questions that we find in 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5 to help silence those doubts and to replace them with hope. Now these two questions are this. The first question is, what will happen to those who die before Jesus returns and when will Jesus actually return? Now as we think about the two answers to these questions, we want to be reminded of one thing. Jesus is coming back for his people. And those who trust him will find their hope satisfied in his return. And so there are two marks that define a hopeful, hopeful church that we see in chapter 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians. The first one is this. A hopeful church knows that death is not the end. A hopeful church knows that death is not the end. And look at verse 13 here with me if you have your Bibles open in chapter 4. And as we step into verse 13 here, we see that Paul wants to bring clarity to those who are worrying for their loved ones who have passed away. Verse 13 says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. 
You see, these people have been given false teaching. And this false teaching has led to despair, for their hope has been erased. And this false teaching is about those who have passed away, or as Paul puts it here in verse 13, those who are asleep in death. Now this phrase here is very commonly used by the ancient writers. The Greek poet Theocritus, he once wrote, Suns may set and rise again, but when once our brief light has set, one unbroken night of sleep remains. You live and you're awake. But when you die, you fall into a permanent sleep. Or at least that's how the world sees it. And it wasn't just the poets back then. Dylan Thomas in 1947, he once wrote, Though we are not to go gentle into that good night, but we are to rage against the dying of the light, that dying of the light that is inside us. And many of us today are afraid of death. And when death hits our loved ones, all of us are met with the pain of grief. The word that Paul uses here in, the, in verse 13, when he speaks of grief, he speaks of an intense pain. In fact, the same word is the word that we get the word lupus from. Lupus is an autoimmune disease in which our body aches all over and we're extremely tired. Grief can feel very similar to this, except in addition you feel a severe emotional pain. A void now occurs in your life. Nothing can ever fill or replace that void. And for the non-believer, there's no hope. I remember um, being at a family member's funeral in the Republic of Ireland in County Cavan. And this person wasn't a Christian and neither was his immediate family. And I remember vividly as the casket went behind the curtain in the crematorium, the audible noise of grief that has stayed with me ever since then. You see, in their eyes, that person is truly gone for good. But is this the same case for the Christian? Is this the same case for the person who has put their faith in Jesus? Now, in order for us to see why these people in Thessalonica are fearful of death, it would be helpful to understand some of the context of the Jewish writings that have been taught now, according to some Jews, those who survive the coming of the great Messiah, they will be more blessed than those who have died before. And in fact, this teaching was later recorded in Jewish writings um, in a book called Second Estrus, which was written 150 years after Paul wrote this letter. But these things just aren't true. And so how does Paul dispel these fears and squash these rumors? Well, look at verse 14 with me. Verse 14, Paul says this, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. You see, it is through the gospel that we find the hope that we have in Jesus. For Jesus died and rose again. And so because we believe this to be true, God will bring those who have died in Christ to live again in Christ. And this is not an assumption either. Paul backs this up in verse 15. In verse 15 he says, it is according to Jesus' or the Lord's words. And that one day, Jesus will return. 
Just as he promised to his people. And those who have died in Christ, verse 16, they will rise first. They will rise from the dead. And then in verse 17, we who are still alive in that momentous occasion, that time when Jesus comes back, we will be caught up, not separately from those who have died, but together as one people. So it doesn't matter whether we live or die coming that day, because on that day we will all be with the Lord forever. And Paul says in verse 18, this is supposed to be an encouragement to us. But when we lose someone in our lives, and no matter how many times it happens to us, it never gets easier, does it? We age and we ache. We decay and eventually we all of us will pass away. This is the circle of life, as Mephasa puts it. And it's one thing to lose someone in their twilight years. We somewhat expect it. But when death blindsides us and hits us unexpectedly, when those near and dear to us pass away without warning, we can feel utterly hopeless, can't we? Now, are we to feel like those who have no concept of heaven or hell? Or are we to feel like those who believe that heaven has no vacancies for them to stay in? It's, easier, it's easy to do so. And in loss, we find ourselves in a place of weakness and vulnerability because of the pain. And when this pain hits us, the question is this. Where do we draw strength from? Where can we find hope to move on? For our loved ones who pass away, who know that Jesus is their Lord, we can take confidence in knowing that they are not lost, but that they too will be saved. Now our language is confusing when we set our minds to this, because when our loved ones die, we say that they are with the Lord. And that's true. But Paul says here that they'll be saved on that day that Jesus returns. So how can we wrap our heads around this? Well, I don't know if any of you have had to go through um, a surgical procedure and go under general anaesthetic. I had to do this 10 or 11 years ago to get an operation on my back. And I remember closing my eyes under the bright lights and hearing the surgeon's voice. And next thing I know, I woke up and I was back in the ward. You know, that's how I imagine it to happen when we die. We drift off. And next thing we know is that we open our eyes to see the one who most loves us. The one who is most faithful. The one who cares for us and is truly authentic. And he isn't just healthy, but he is perfect in nature. When Stephen, a member of the early church in Jerusalem, he was seized by those who opposed the gospel and was killed for his faith. It's recorded in Acts chapter 7 that he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand before he died. Or as the writer Luke puts it, he fell asleep. And when Stephen wakes up from his sleep, he will see that glory once again. He will come face to face with Jesus. This is who I mean. And we too will one day see the same. You see, falling asleep is not a permanent state. It is a temporary state of rest in which we look forward to a time of permanent restoration in Jesus. 
And death isn't the beginning of the end. But we can take hope here in this passage to see that it is just the end of the beginning. But what about those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord? What will happen to them in death? Um, Will anything happen to them now in this life? Well, Paul wants to address that in his in the and answer that question in the second part here in chapter five, and let's think about that now in verses one to eleven. So we know that a hopeful church knows that death is not the end, but secondly, a hopeful church knows that Jesus will definitely return. And Paul doesn't feel the need in verse one of chapter five here to tell the church. Um, about the where and when of when Jesus will return. And it's not because Paul knows any secrets, but he wants to reassure them of what they already know. They know, if you look at verse 2 with me, that Jesus will come when they least expect it. Look at verse 2. Paul says, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now I did a bit of research here. And I could find at least 176 incidences when someone, either in the Christian faith or another belief system, predicted the end of the world. Now, but the problem with all these predictions is that now none of them have happened, have they? We're still here. Let's face it. And not only are they untrue, but they've become a point of ridicule for those who don't believe or are sceptical of even the Christian faith. Now, I remember this last time Harold Camping, I don't know if you remember that name. Harold Camping predicted the end of the world would be on the 21st of October, 2011. What day is it now? Way past that. Now, that obviously didn't happen, did it? And the mainstream media jumped on board to this to say, about, to say not only was Harold Camping a false prophet or a false teacher, but they have little doubt to believe that there is ever something that would draw close to this world, except for the possibility the earth and the moon will fall into the sun some 7.59 billion years' time. So we have a little while yet. Don't worry about that. But when we hear these stories, it's like the boy who cries wolf, isn't it? Yeah. You know the story, don't you? The boy was sent out to look after the town sheep, but he got bored because he was all alone. So he shouts out, wolf, wolf. The townsfolk come running, but there was no wolf. So they leave him alone. He does it again. Wolf! Wolf! They all run back, but again there's no wolf. However, the third time a wolf appears and the boy panics and he shouts out, Wolf! Wolf! But no one listens. No one cares. The boy and the sheep are all killed and eaten and the townsfolk are oblivious to what is going on. You see, Paul, in his wisdom, has no time for games. And his priority is not to work out when Jesus might return. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, um, verse 36 and 42, Jesus says these words, About that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day Your Lord will come. And just like Jesus does in Matthew's Gospel, Paul compares Jesus' return to a thief who comes in the middle of the night. Now, we don't expect thieves to show up, do we? 
If we did, we would stay up all night to catch them. And it's rare that a thief calls up ahead to let you know when he's coming to rob you. But look at verse 3. Especially in light of verse 2. Verse 3 says this, While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. You see, just as the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night, those who are complacent in their life, they will find that without warning, destruction comes to their doorstep. And by then it will be far too late. You see, for the believer, the day of the Lord brings hope. But for the unbeliever, knowing about the day of the Lord should be a warning to you. Paul wants to encourage his believers to keep going in the faith. To remain hopeful as they look ahead with eager anticipation to Jesus coming back. Look at verses 4 to 5. Paul says, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. So that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Therefore, verse 6, let us not be like the others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. And Paul compares that sobriety to that of a soldier. We see that in verse 8. During times of military service, Roman soldiers were ordered not to drink any alcohol, especially when they were on the battlefield. And the reason for this is that a soldier must be prepared to fight at all times. If they took a drink, they might be too drowsy to fight. And so Paul is urging the church here to be constantly prepared for that day when the Lord returns and you're wearing the correct armor. Faith and love as your breastplate, and salvation as your helmet. And when we commit ourselves to Christ through the gospel, we are not called to lie down and do nothing. But instead we are called to act in faith and in love towards one another. See, these acts of faith and love are not the reward points that we use to earn our salvation. Instead, our salvation has already been given to us. And a response in faith and love is the overflow of those gifts given to us by God. Our salvation we are to wear as a helmet to protect us. And we are to wear faith and love as marks of who we are as a church. But as we've seen last week, it can be hard to remain faithful in these things. Particularly as the world presses in on us and berates us for our faith. They make fun of us. They ridicule us. But our hope is in not what we want to avoid, but what we will gain in the future. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is our hope. Whether we are awake in life or asleep in death, Our salvation comes in Jesus, who is coming back. Verse 10 says, He died for us so that whether we are awake or we're asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, 
Verse 11, we're to encourage each other. Build each other up. Just as the church in Thessalonica was doing. Don't waste your time speculating about the possibilities of the end times. But focus on the hope we have now in light of what is ahead of us at the end of time. We are suffering now. Whether it's persecution or grief. Because sin rots all of us. Sin corrupts us and we pass away because of sin. But our hope is that Christ will return. That is certain. And it is sure and steadfast. And we can look forward now in anticipation because of the gospel. And if you're here today, if you're not a believer, then can I ask you to please listen to this warning. One day Jesus is coming back. And it won't be a happy ending for you if you're not trusting in him for salvation. Instead it will be the opposite. Those who avoid belief, they find themselves on the wrong side of God and his wrath. But we don't want you to suffer God's wrath. We want you to know his love for you in Jesus. It's in Jesus that there is freedom. It's in Jesus that there is mercy and grace. And it's in Jesus that there is hope for you today. Now you might be thinking, God doesn't want anything to do with me. That's not true. He cares for the broken. He cares for the hurting, the suffering. He cares for the least, the last and the lost. Life gets us down, I know that. It hurts us all. It gives us grief and we become hopeless through it. But the good news of God is that you don't have to remain this way. There is hope for you in knowing Jesus as Lord. And as you do this, you can know for sure that there will be a happy ending in your life story when Jesus comes back. And if you're uncertain of whether or not Jesus might actually return, be encouraged to know that whether you don't make it to see him come soon, or whether you're alive to witness it, no one in Christ is left behind. Not one person will miss out. And death is not the end. Yes, we can grieve for our loved ones who have died. But if they were faithful to God in Christ through the gospel, then their lives were not in vain. Their hope is just as firm as ours can be today. And if you're swayed by the voices who say they know when or they think it's not happening at all, remember this. No one knows the hour except God who ordains it. We wait on his promises. We trust in his perfect timing. And we are to walk in his light. Not following the ways of the world. Not doing what we want as we please. But we are to live in light of what we have been called. As children of the living God. Trusting in him. And quietly honouring him in our lives. Remember, we are not left alone to work these things out. God gives us his spirit as our helper. And in verses 23 to 25, we are left with these final words of encouragement in Paul's benediction or letter for the Thessalonian church. Look at 
verses 23 to 25 with me in page 1188. I'm going to read them out here. Paul ends these with these words. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He is faithful and he will do it. See, God helps us every step of the way on our journey. We're not alone. He is always with us. And so as I finish, we can look ahead with hope to know that death is not the end for us as believers. And we can look ahead with hope to know that Jesus will definitely return. You see, this is our happy ending as the church. It might not look anything like a prince coming to save the day in a Disney movie or a fairy tale, but it will result in our king, the Lord Jesus, coming back for his beloved bride, the hope-filled church, where we should want to belong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we realize that our hearts can be just as easily broken as they can be built up over the years with love. Lord, trust can take a lifetime to build and only a moment to break. And grief can cause the same thing when death hits us all. Lord, I pray for those here this afternoon who are grieving and suffering right now. For those who have lost loved ones, whether recently or in the past. Lord, that void will never be filled. That void will never be replaced. But Lord, we just ask that you come alongside them right now and you help them who are broken, who are suffering, who are struggling. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have through the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you help us all day by day to hold on to this hope, to hold on to it by faith, to hold on to it and trusting in you, to trust in your son. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling right now. Lord, that they can take confidence in who you are. They can take confidence in that you are a merciful and loving God. And they can take confidence in knowing that you will never leave their side. Lord, draw near to them, please. Lord, help them in their anguish. And Lord, reassure them of the hope that we can have in you. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news of Jesus. And we thank you for your word. We pray it continues to speak to us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.